stay tuned for The Turning Point with Mike Fader. This is Mike Fader on The Turning Point. We're here every Monday at 4 p.m. If you hear anything on this program um, that um, stimulates you, provokes you, enrages you, inspires you, you can get in touch with me about that, and I wish you would. I welcome all uh, comments and inquiries. And the best way to do that is go to my website, Fader Files, F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S, FaderFiles.com. And there will be uh, blog posts there. It's not always political. Sometimes it's, uh, sometimes it's personal and uh, hopefully universal. So I write essays. I write stories. I write about uh, politics sometimes uh, or about cultural issues. Now, <clears throat> with all the uh, tremendous, intense political circus and competition and 
all the stakes being so high, uh, you're going to hear a lot from me over the next several months, I suppose from everybody, but certainly from, on this program. You'll hear a lot about um, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders and the Republicans and um, income inequality and racism and everything else. The whole political race will be uh, you know, covered many times here by me and other people. But uh, I thought uh, for, a, for a change once in a while, instead of just hearing me uh, and my partially educated guesses and my opinions, we'd listen to some people who... Uh, really um, are professionally educated and <laughs> have been following this and pay a lot of attention. In other words, experts. And today we have, uh, we're uh, very happy to have with us Les Leopold, who uh, has a brand new book called Runaway Equality, Runaway Inequality, excuse me, Runaway, Runaway Inequality, An Activist's Guide to Economic Justice. Hi. Hello. How are you doing? I'm hanging in there. How are you? Okay, a little cold. You live in New York, you're cold. It was uh, zero degrees yesterday. First time I think I've ever seen that. So. Yeah, yep. Uh... Anyhow, inside the studio, it is nice and warm. So uh, there's so much going on here, and, of course, this latest twist with Scalia, it's hard to know even where to start. And if you prefer, we can start talking about your book, the brand-new book. Uh, by the way, let me introduce Les uh, uh, to, uh, to you so you know who you're listening to, Les Leopold co-founded and currently directs <clears throat> two nonprofit educational organizations, the Labor Institute and the Public Health Institute. And he designs research and educational programs on occupational safety and health, the environment, and economics. And he has written uh, several books. Um, the most recent is the one we're going to talk about today, Runaway Inequality, an Activist's Guide to Economic Justice. And that's published by Labor Institute Press. And his previous book that I spoke to him about on another station is How to Make a Million Dollars an Hour, Why Financial Elites Get Away with the Siphoning Off of America's Wealth. And that's uh, published by John Wiley and Sons. Um, so I, <laughs> should I leave it up to you? Where do you want to start? You've written articles about, um, especially when I was interested in about to, will Hillary uh, play the race, will Team Hillary play the race card? But uh, would you like to start off talking about income inequality, since that's the basic um, foundation of almost all these arguments? Yeah, it's, it's actually the foundation of what's going on right now. Um, I started working on this book because my son was an intern with the Fight for 15 people in New York, and uh, he was a freshman in college. He kept coming home and saying, you know, what's going on? There are all these homeless people sleeping on the street. Everybody just walks by. You know, how can we be such a wealthy country and let this happen? Mm -hmm. And I was going to, you know, I was looking to write another book, and I uh, uh, sort of had the bug, and I started to think about uh, doing something on homelessness. And then as I dug into it, I realized, oh, wow, the problem is a whole lot bigger. And I also realized that, the two I'd written two previous books on finance, and I didn't really get it. I didn't really understand how it was that um, uh, the unshackling of the financial sector, the deregulation of the financial sector, was ripping the country apart. So that became the theme of this book. Um, really, it, it has like four parts. It has a, kind of a, uh, the analysis it looks at. Then there's a section that compares the United States to other countries. You know, are we still number one mm -hmm. in anything? Turns out, the last we're only number one now in military spending and numbers of people in prison. Right. Uh, and then, then the, the hardest part of the book was to try to show people 
that our va- the various issues that we care about are connected by runaway inequality, and that what's happened to the progressive movement is we've gotten locked up in our silos, our, our kind of issue silos, where our issue is the only issue, in a sense, the most important issue, mm-hmm. and it's viewed as separate. And uh, so the book was an attempt to beat uh, what some workers uh, that I've been uh, doing education with call silo-busting, hmm. that, that, that if we were going to build a powerful movement uh, to, take, to, to reverse runaway inequality, we would have to uh, make our silos more porous. And then the last section is kind of what to do about it. All of this was written before Bernie Sanders came on the scene. Mm-hmm. And I swear to you, the guy is stealing my lines and not giving me credit. Well, he's, uh, being, he's being accused of, uh, you know, obviously he's being accused by people who find it, um, you know, useful to accuse him of this, of being a one-note candidate. And um, he could maybe be doing a better job of connecting up all the dots. But uh, it's obvious to people, and uh, th- when you write your articles, it becomes completely obvious. Uh, and later on, we'll, uh, you know, tell people how to get in touch with you, your, your website, and how to read these things. But uh, that runaway uh, inequality, income inequality is the root the very root of uh, of this whole tree of disasters that is right. American culture and, and politics right now, and um, yeah, well, far from being a single issue, it, it, it is the issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is the issue that uh, uh, let me let me just give you some background on this that, that I, or the listeners I think w- would be uh, useful. The reason I I, don't, I, I didn't call the book inequality uh, uh, is because it the runaway part is the killer. Look, there's always been inequality. Back in 1970, the, the ratio between the top 100 CEOs and the average workers was 45 to 1. $45 for the top CEO, $1 for the average worker. Mm-hmm. So if a worker could afford one car, a CEO could afford 45 cars. That's a pretty good gap. Today, it's 844 to 1. It's incomprehensible. If you can afford one home, a top 100 CEO can afford 844 homes. And, and so how did that happen? Uh, it, uh, in a nutshell, what happened was in the 70s, a completely new economic uh, and kind of political philosophy hit the United States. Uh, it came out of conservative think tanks. It came out of a reaction to the 60s and to the turbulent 70s. And we call it in the book the better business climate model. Academics call it neoliberalism, but I find that a confusing term. It is confusing. the word liberal in it. I never really did understand that. So better business climate, right? Yeah, better business climate model. And it has basically four pieces to it. Cut taxes, especially on the wealthy. Cut regulations, especially on finance, but they didn't say that then. Uh, Cut the social safety net so that people would be more hungry and go out there to work, you know, so they wouldn't rely on government. Mm -hmm. And uh, reduce the power of of labor, uh, organized uh, labor. That all is supposed to create a huge profit and investment boom, and then all boats would rise. Hmm. And both political parties got very giddy about it. Uh, it, it was adopted. Uh, even Ted Kennedy got really into the whole idea of deregulating airlines and trucking and telecommunications. It was the rage. But the dirty little secret of the better business climate model was the deregulation of finance. Uh, you know, by the 1970s, the younger economists said, hey, all that stuff that happened in the 30s would not happen again. Uh, you know, the, the markets are much more uh, disciplined and uh, self-policing, and you don't need to do that. So they unleashed, they unleashed the financial sector, and that was an unmitigated disaster. Let me give you just a, a quick picture of what happened. Mm-hmm. When they unleashed the financial sector, 
these corporate raiders went into high gear, and, and, and they, did, they started buying up companies after companies, and they did it with very little of their own money, and they borrowed a lot of money. Well, who did, no, they, let, me, let me ask you a question yes. here. And there. Who did they borrow the money from? They, at that point, they, uh, banks, uh, uh, other investors, and they, they started floating these things called junk bonds. Oh, uh, right, right. Right. None of this stuff was likely to happen when finance was more heavily regulated. But in this new atmosphere of deregulation, it was like anything goes. So uh, the, the trick was when you, when, you buy up a, uh, when you go out and buy a car and you take a loan out, who pays back the loan, you or the car? <laughs> right? You do. But when a, a corporate raider buys a company uh, with borrowed money, they stick the, the borrowed money on the company, and, and the corporate raider does not have to pay it back. The company pays it back. And the first thing they do is they pay themselves a special dividend. So they almost come out even as soon as they close the deal. And they get a, and, they get a fee for doing all this, too, right? Oh, yeah. They, everybody involved gets huge fees for doing all this. Hmm. But here's the big thing that changed. Uh, they changed the way the CEOs were paid. Before 1980, or actually in 1980, 95% of a CEO's pay was salary and bonuses, and 5% were stock incentives. Mm-hmm. In 1982, there was a rule change in the uh, Security and Change Commission. Reagan appointed the former head of E.F. Hutton, and he believed in this whole deregulation scheme that was going to make the economy more efficient. And he said, we don't need to uh, prosecute people for uh, this very interesting thing called buying back your own shares. Corporations, before, up until this point, if a corporation went into the market and bought back its own shares, that would be considered stock, uh, stock manipulation because mm-hmm. when you reduce the number of shares out in the marketplace, it automatically raises the price because there are fewer, a little, you know, slightly fewer owners. Right. Every owner has a little bit more uh, of, uh, owns a little bit more of the company because now you've reduced the ownership by, buy, by re- retiring shares. Well, this was illegal before 1982. After 1982, it became all the rage. And they completely changed the way that the corporate raiders now uh, changed the way the uh, CEOs were paid. It, now it's 5% salary and bonuses, and the rest are stock incentives. Mm. Okay, so now I'm going to ask you a tough question. You're the CEO, and 95% of your pay are stock incentives. What are you going to do? Well, what am I, I have no, I have, if I, if I knew anything about money at all or about... Oh, only I could say for your stock depends on the price of your company's shares. Right. What are you going to do? Well, you'd want to, you'd want to drive those shares up, right? Exactly right. See, you are CEO. Material. Okay, Don't all right. sell yourself short here. All right, I'll well, tell my wife when I get home. Okay, okay so how, how did they go about doing that? Well, what they did was they took all, virtually all the corporation's money and started going into marketplace and buying back their own shares. So now that they they owe now that they ran the company and that their pay was entirely dependent on the share price, by 2007, 75 percent of all corporate profits in the in the country, all corporate profits, were going to buy back their own shares. Forget about. Uh, uh, reinvest in, in technology, R&D, plant and equipment, workers, training, all that went out the window. Environmental controls, they did as little as possible, and they're just pouring their money into buying back their own shares to drive up their own price, and of course driving up the price of the shares of the investors, the hedge funds, the private equity companies. 
So, so, uh, so they're, they're, inf they're inflating this to the point where it has absolutely nothing inside it but, but air, like a balloon, right? Well, what they're now doing, they're, they're, they're loading up the company with as much debt as possible. You know, when you throw in dividends, they got over 100% hmm. of, of uh, profits went to stock buybacks. To get over 100%, they went out in the marketplace and borrowed more money. So, the, so corporations are loaded up with debt, and they are the, the, the goal, the purpose of an American corporation today is to buy back its own shares. That's literally the purpose. So uh, you start uh, to, to pay for all this, you uh, move, move jobs overseas, you uh, get rid of uh, weaker product lines, you cut back your workforce, you crush the union, you, get, you, know, you, you, you try to get rid of the pensions, the benefits. So you have this downward pressure on the standard of living. So here's what's ha what happened. Mm -hmm. Bef bef between 1947, and, and all this is in the book better than I can say it, okay. uh, because I had good editors, between 1947 and 1980, the, the uh, income... Uh, that you could earn in the financial sector and the non-financial sector was about the same, given your level of skill, uh, experience, et cetera. So if you work for GM or you work for Chase Manhattan Bank, it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. After 1980, it, it, financial salaries went through the roof. You could earn at least twice as much in the financial sector because of all these, uh, 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 what we call financial strip mining. Because of financial strip mining, you could earn twice as much. Also because of this, uh, the top 1%, the top fraction of 1% saw their incomes go through the roof, and the average worker saw their wage basically freeze when you talk about real buying power after inflation from 1977 till today. Mm -hmm. We've had a wage freeze because of this financial strip mining. So this is huge. This impacts everything. Uh, for example, if you, if you like, I can give you a great example of how it actually yeah. connects sure. with the prison population. Mm -hmm. All right. So you have this, uh, this better business climate model uh, comes in, and, and two things happen. Uh, do you own a home by any chance? Do you have a mortgage? No, I don't. You rent? Oh, you're a smart yeah. guy. Okay. Well, if you had a mortgage, people like homeowners have a huge tax advantage because they have a mortgage. They can write off the interest on their mortgage. Right. Well, corporations can write off the interest on their debt. So what happened as the companies uh, got loaded by the corporate raiders loaded and loaded up their co companies with more and more debt, that line goes like straight up. There was no corporate debt until around 1980, and the corporate debt goes through the ceiling. <laughs> All that's tax deductible, which means corporations stop paying their taxes, especially to state and local government. Uh, at the same time, the super rich, of course, once you get richer and richer, you stop paying taxes as well. Right. You move your money offshore uh, to the tune of something like $21 trillion is now parked offshore around the world. <laughs> a lot of money. So the, uh, we estimate the, uh, the tax loss there on the federal level alone is about $150 billion a year. A year. <laughs> okay, so that creates, and, and, and workers' wages are, are flat. So where, how, how do you support state and local government? Well, you have a fiscal crisis all of a sudden, which is the puzzle that my son started with. How can the richest country in the world can't afford a decent public sector? How, how is that possible? Well, well, why, why, is it, why is it constantly referred to as the richest country in the world? Whose, co whose country are we talking about? Yeah, exactly. The, the, the economy as a whole. Let's put it that way. All right. All right. Uh, very good point. Excellent point. So... Uh, there's not enough money in the public sector, so you get situations like Flint, right, where they they don't have the uh, they, they don't have the money to to, to 
to, to put pipes in that don't have lead in them. Mm-hmm. They don't, you know, they, they just started cutting back and cutting back. Well, they also cut back every kind of 1960s and 70s jobs program for inner city youth, for low income people, uh, for people of color, uh, especially public sector jobs, by the way, where the upwardly uh, middle class African Americans become middle class often through public sector jobs, teachers and other jobs in public sector. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I've seen that plenty of times. When I, when I yeah. started working in the welfare department in the 60s, right. in the probation yeah, classic department. Classic example. Yeah, these, the, 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 all the supervisors and, uh, you know, uh, case supervisors, people were rising in there, and they were, uh, you know, black. You know. So, so those jobs are getting cut back. There are no jobs programs. There's no more war on poverty. And literally what happens is the war on poverty gets trans, transferred into the war uh, into, into, into jail. Uh, that's the new war on poverty. If you look at the statistics, the rise in inequality, runaway inequality, and the runaway jail population match year by year by year. As one goes up, the other goes up. We now have the most prisoners in the entire world, both in absolute number and as a percentage of the population, more than China, more than North Korea, more than Cuba, more than uh, any uh, Soviet Union, uh, United, I mean, United, uh, uh, Russia, any country you can imagine, we have more prisoners. So, ask, it, it, it's, so you know, runaway inequality is not a little thing. It turned the United States into the largest police state in the world. Somebody coming from Mars would say, oh, yeah, the United States is a police state. They have well, the most prisoners. <clears throat> well, then also it develops an entire industry in itself, which provides a certain uh, sector like Absol- building Ab- prisons, maintaining them, guards, everything. Absolutely. Now, take Ferguson, Missouri. This, this is something we uncovered uh, uh, doing the book, and then it was confirmed by the Just- a Justice Department report. Ferguson uh, got really hit by the financial uh, crisis in 2007-2008. At that point, 7.4% of its budget came from fines and forfeitures. And they got, you know, they, they were being uh, financially strip-mined, as it were, as well, and they, their revenues are going down. So they say, hmm, let's do something about this. We're going to increase the fines and forfeitures that we're going to uh, try to get out of low-income people in our community. Mm-hmm. They doubled the percentage. Yeah, I read that, they, in, the, I read that in the paper. They doubled it. Yeah, and, and, they and, doubled and, their, it. and their municipal court system was basically a collection bureau. Exactly. So, And guess what? The other 21 counties uh, around St. Louis did the same thing, and many counties across the country did the same thing. So Michael Brown, the guy who got uh, killed during an arrest needlessly, mm-hmm. uh, he got uh, vacuumed up in that system. That was, they, they were, they were pur- purposely stopping people to try to get them into the, uh, into the criminal justice system. So it's not just a question of racism. Of course, that's there as well. But, you know, racism was worse in the 1960s than it is today. But we have more prisoners, and we have more prisoners of color today. Take Eric Garner, Staten Island. Mm-hmm. What was he doing, the fellow who was arrested? S- selling, selling loose cigarettes, right? That was his job. That was his war on poverty, right? Mm-hmm. What did he, that was the way he tried to earn a living. He was pulling himself up by his own bootstraps, selling Lucy's. He gets uh, dragged into the... Uh, into the criminal justice and, and killed and, right away. And we're not talking about just Republicans here. We're talking about Democrats, too, that have participated in this at the highest level, right? Oh, well, Clinton, Clinton, in many ways, Clinton accelerated 
the prison. Uh, both he accelerated both runaway inequality by deregulating finance, and he uh, accelerated uh, his omnibus uh, crime bill. Accelerated the number uh, at three strikes and you're out on a federal level, and the crack cocaine being a uh, uh, hundred times more uh, convictions than uh, powder cocaine. One was used by black people, the other used by white people. He, he, it was a disaster, but. The biggest disaster from the Clinton administration, and no one's really pinned uh, Hillary down on this, was they, de- they you know they deregulated finance uh, again and again and again. It was on that watch for, and they had Alan Greenspan, the ultimate deregulator, as as I uh, reappointed him as uh, 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 chairman of the Federal Reserve. They got rid of Glass Steagall, mm-hmm. uh, and they they the, the most pernicious law was they set up a law that said you were. That no agency in the government could deregulate derivatives, the very kind of derivatives, mortgage derivatives that led uh, to the crash uh, in 2007 and 2008, only, you know, seven, eight years later. And on top of all that, uh, there were lots of signs that, uh, of predatory mortgages where banks were, and mortgage companies were going after low income people, people of color, and uh, giving them uh, uh, high interest loans when they qualified, in fact, for low interest conventional loans. And uh, this was reported to uh, Alan Greenspan, and he just ignored it. I was just going to so ask this, you, and nobody, nobody is watching this. There's no cops on the beat, right? Well, the cop on the beat, supposed to, in this case, was supposed to be the Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. They had all the power. They could easily have stopped it. And they just said, well, you know, let the market prevail. We don't think it's that big a deal, right. blah, blah, blah. Uh, so, so this whole, virtually any issue you can think of uh, is got a facet to it that comes from runaway inequality. And, student, and, and it's accelerating. Include, and this includes student debt, which is monstrous. Oh, big one. Thank you for mentioning that one. Yeah. Before the Better Business Climate hit, there was almost no such thing as student debt. People who are your age and my age, if you were you went to college for free in California, for free in New York, mm-hmm. uh, New York City and New York State, most state schools, if you had a summer job, you could cover tuition. Right. Most state schools across the country. Mm-hmm. That changed Incredibly, uh, because, of course, uh, there was this, uh, not enough money to go around because it was all corporations and the rich were basically keeping it, moving it offshore. And uh, tuition went up, and students went. The line of student debt looks just like the line of runaway inequality. It's another huge market. It's now a trillion-dollar market, $1.2 trillion market that the uh, that Wall Street loves. Uh, the It's... It's well, this completely is all- out of control. You know, since the last Bernie, there, there are a couple of things that Bernie's. Uh, uh, well, well let, I, I want to. Kind of, I'm going to try to d- divide this a little bit because then, you know, after we talk about this, this is why I wanted to start talking about this. By the way, if you just tuned in, uh, we're talking to Les Leopold, and um, he his most current book is and something I think everybody should take a look at, please. And you can read any article by Les Leopold on Alternet, on Huffington. You have a uh, Huffington Post uh, sort of a regular blog. Uh... They're, 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 they're good to me. Yeah, okay. They, they usually put it on the front page, so I'm, I'm very mm-hmm. fortunate. Okay, Huffington Post, Alternet. Check, these, check any article out by Les Leopold. He writes clearly. He writes well about important issues. And uh, his latest book is called... Runaway Inequality, an Activist Guide to Economic Justice. Let me just, uh, for the next few minutes, we'll talk about that, and then we'll shift into this whole Hillary Clinton and uh, versus uh, Sanders. And um, by the way, uh, and we also talk about the fact that the New York Times has uh, basically been hired as a press agent for the Clinton administration. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and they've already... Uh, 
I never saw anything so shameful from him, the Times, in, in my life. They already actually nominated. She's already won the nomination as far as they're concerned. And Paul Krugman is so yeah. blatantly are, you know, trying to become head of the Council of Economic Advisors. Or I know. They're, they're just the all running, or something. running Amazing. for He's job He's doing posting. it again today. Yeah. Um, Okay, so, uh, and then, uh, uh, but back to the book here, uh, right before we move on. The idea of, uh, and this is connected to stuff you were talking about before as far as prison and crime, um, certain cities became attracted to people, um, you know, the lots of increase in lobbyists and financiers and corporate executives. Certain cities like New York and some other places became attractive to people, not just here, but apparently to uh, Chinese billionaires too and Russian but uh, so when they moved uh, into these neighborhoods, this gentrification, and they went to certain cities, uh, the standard amount of crime that was around became intolerable to them. It was unacceptable. And um, so uh, could, because they were using their, according here to something you said, they're using their new wealth to buy property in marginal neighborhoods. So something had to be done, and this affected the way police enforcement was, right? Well, yeah, this is the, uh, another part of that whole rise of the prison population comes from the broken window theory of policing. Uh, look, we stopped investing in low-income communities, right? The, the theory was, if you want a job, go get it. Uh, if there are no jobs, too bad. You know, it, it's up to you. The government's not going to interfere in the private sector. If they, if, if they move all the supermarkets out of your neighborhood, too bad. It's not, it, the government's not going to do anything for you. That was really the philosophy that you're on your own. Well, uh, so, you know, crime was, uh, you had uh, increasing impoverished neighborhoods that were for, falling further and further behind. And uh, those that were in desirable cities are getting encroached by developers. So you're going to have friction. You're going to have friction between uh, the, the, the new people coming in. Usually starts with their kids, actually. Mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, the artists and the, you know, the lower, the, the kids that can't afford the big part, uh, uh, the big apartments yet come in and buy the uh, move into lower income neighborhoods and then they get you know this happens all over New York yeah. another neighborhood gets upgraded 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 but there's going to be a conflict between the people that are there uh, who are poor and the people who are there that are not poor and uh, to manage the conflict they came up with this thing called the broken window theory which is that minor crimes if you fix the broken window uh, if you let the broken window sit there the whole there goes the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. There will be no respect for law and order. But if you but if you fix the window and take care of minor crimes like, you know, joint, smoking a joint in the, uh, on the street or having a uh, you know drinking from a bottle or loitering or all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. you you sweep those people into the criminal justice system and you stop violent crime, and therefore you put more and more and more people into jail. Stop and frisk. Stop anybody you want to stop. Basically, uh, uh, and you are. Uh, basically, the police become an occupying force. The oh, idea of community sure. policing goes goes out the window, and the neighborhoods get you know basically the lower income people sort of sooner or later get pushed out of the neighborhood. Uh, a good number of them end up in jail. They get pushed out of the neighborhood, and and the gentrification encroaches, 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 encroaches. Well, you know, uh, I you know I've been I've been reading uh, uh, Robert Caro's uh, astounding <laughs> work on uh, on uh, on Robert Moses, mm -hmm. and you know this is this is something that I mean he was a precursor to this kind of thing, and he was given charge of slum clearance in New York. He just built all these buildings and just moved everybody out and away, and uh, you know these people. 
you know, created slums in other neighborhoods because they had no jobs and they had nothing else. But to get back to what you were just saying, when these uh, uh, wealthy people take over these neighborhoods and you have this new police enforcement, they, this also affects the school system too, right? Well, look, we have now a system of separate and unequal mm-hmm. in all the major cities. Uh, the, uh, the number of kids that are going to high-poverty area schools that are people of color is like an enormous number now. Uh, you know, the, the the suburban schools are way better than the uh, than the inner uh, city schools, mm-hmm. and we and we're attacking teachers and their unions and their pension funds and everything else. We should be giving them gold medals for trying to make it work. We have to, you know, we, we should be uh, tripling our investment in uh, uh, city educational systems, and instead we're disinvesting. Meanwhile, this is the, this is the ultimate chutzpah. The hedge fund guys, right, who've been milking, they are the supreme strip miners. They add no value, and I'll give you some great examples how they add no value, mm-hmm. uh, and worse than no value. They add no value to the, to the uh, system, and uh, yet they're pushing charter schools as a way to kind of break the teachers' union. Uh, and uh, the joke of it is that they would, n- not one of them, I believe, and I, if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll be glad to uh, 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 Admit it. Mm-hmm. I don't think one of them sends their kids to a, a inner city charter school. Oh, I doubt Not it. Not one. I doubt it. And, but they consider charter schools the civil rights movement of their generation, and, and this is why it's chutzpah. They've milked the system out of billions of dollars. They've done the financial strip, strip mining. Then they take advantage of a thing called the carried interest uh, loophole, which uh, basically allows them to save fifteen billion dollars uh, uh, in taxes uh, a year. You could double the number of inner city teachers with the amount of money that they save from their loophole. And these guys are already making uh, you know, something like 100000 to a $1 million an hour. Mm. And this loophole is just for them. So they have the nerve to then say, oh, and the crisis we've helped create, we're going to solve with uh, 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 private uh, charter schools uh, using public money. And again, there's a whole ripoff that goes with that. And, and, when they and, start and, sending their kids to charter schools, then I'll take them seriously. But, and, and who regulates and who looks after, who polices, who checks into these charter schools that they're treating the students right, that they have a, you know, a certain uh, graduate, graduation levels that go on, that kind of thing? It's too much. The, the biggest problem, one of the biggest problems with the uh, better business climate, there are two big problems with the better business climate model. One was it unleashed this financial strip mining on the whole economy. I could, I, we could spend three hours and I could give you examples mm. of how it works. And then the second example uh, is that, that we it, we gave up on the public sector. The public sector is viewed as trash. If uh, you know, if you uh, a job in the private sector, no matter what it is, is now considered more important than a job in the public sector. Public sector is viewed as welfare. Well, you know what? There aren't enough jobs to go around. The real unemployment rate, if you count prisoners and people who are uh, discouraged workers, it's like over 10%, 12% mm-hmm. of the population. Higher in, 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 in uh, amongst uh, inner city people, you're talking, and rural, like uh, real rural, you're talking maybe 20, 30, 40%, 50% for youth. And we've got, we're doing nothing about it. It's all up to the free market. We're, there are no programs. No politician has the guts to say, I am going to create new public sector jobs. 
Uh, I think Bernie's the only one that comes close. But let me give you an example well, but, but of how me, bad this Well, let me ask you a question first. Yeah. Uh, um, it seems that a lot of people uh, who maybe should know better, but, you know, people sometimes are their own worst enemies, especially if they're not politically aware of what's going on. Take an example like Wisconsin with Scott Walker. I mean, um, <clears throat> you have people voting there for a man who works for the Koch brothers. Essentially, he, you know, his part-time job is governor of, um, you know, is his hobby as governor of Wisconsin. His actual job is, uh, you know, to carry out whatever the Koch brothers tell him to do. But then he runs and he gets reelected. Uh, or he wins a special election, and then when he tries to smash the unions, he gets general support from the citizens well, of, of Wisconsin. Exactly. So let's let's step back and look at that dynamic. Yeah, it's a perfect example. The the industries in Wisconsin have been financially strip mined for twenty five, thirty years. Mm-hmm. Right. So there, there, the unions in the private sector have been virtually, you know, reduced to minimal status. Uh, most private sector people in Wisconsin have low wages and terrible benefits right. okay the public sector then is the last remaining place that has decent jobs with decent benefits and they have so unions very, too and they have unions so yeah. it's very very easy to tell uh, for a politician they did the, christie does this in new jersey they do it everywhere saying look why should you the voter without benefits and decent wages be paying your hard taxes so that these mm-hmm. people can have benefits and wages that you don't have, that right. you no longer have. Right. It's an easy sell. And the only thing that can stop it is a populist uprising, where the, where the whole thing gets reframed. See, this whole better business climate model has to be attacked. And uh, 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 let me just give you one another example sure. of how pernicious it is. Of course, this leads to a revolving door between, you know, uh, Wall Street and, and Washington. We know that that's been going on. So, uh, and, and 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 God forbid, right? Uh, if Bernie said this, Hillary would attack him as being anti-Obama. But Obama did a lot of revolving door stuff. And here's oh here's, yeah, uh, sure. Well, this one is breaks my heart. The guy that was negotiating the deal with General Motors on the bailout, mm-hmm. a bailout that all of us supported, right, with our money, and it saved a whole lot of jobs. He left uh, the administration shortly thereafter, went to a hedge fund. Hmm. Then his hedge fund turns around and buys up a bunch of shares, like millions of shares of General Motors. And then they go to General Motors after General Motors is on its feet again because of our bailout and says, look, you've got cash reserves now. We want you to and fill in the blank. What would the American people say? We want you to invest in the cleanest, most uh, 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 efficient new technology right. uh, uh, cars. We want America to lead the world in cars. Or we want you to reinvest in the workers that had to take uh, pay cuts. You might say that if you were more union-oriented. But for sure, we'd all agree on we want the best cars in the world, the most efficient uh, uh, cars that use the least amount of uh, sure. uh, global warming uh, that makes, uh, fossil that, fuels. That makes sense for the most people. Right. So here's what the guy said. He said, we're, I'm, we're, I'm gonna, we're, we're going to do a proxy fight uh, so we can get on the board, and we're demanding the following, that you return that money to the investors through stock buybacks. <sighs> Two weeks ago, maybe three weeks now, General Motors announces $9 billion in stock buybacks to enrich the guy who negotiated the deal for the Obama administration. It makes me sick. That's financial strip mining. So instead of going towards, you know, cleaner cars, we're going towards runaway inequality. But it's, it's, it's just you can't get an example 
that is more clear hmm. about what's wrong. Well, it's not even real. I don't even see a revolving door anymore. I mean, it seems to me that, <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that actually is almost a polite, they almost... They arch- the two buildings that got rid of the door. Yeah, it's, it's, an it's like an archaic phrase already, you know. It's really the same, it's the same building that they're in. It's the same office that they occupy. So, um, oh, you criticize, you know, Hillary will crucify you. Yeah, well, I, I'll tell you, one of the nice things that... Uh, uh, obviously, to do something with about financial strip mine, this leads us into the Bernie Hillary business. Well, I want to uh, ask you one yeah, last question about the sure, book before, sure. because uh, I did want to talk a little bit about what's going on with Bernie and Hillary, and especially with this uh, income inequality and how she's attacking him as a one-note candidate. And because you've written articles about this too, and especially when it comes to race. Uh, uh, at the end of your book, I mean, you don't want to end it with this, like, you know, gloom and doom and catastrophe. And what, At the end of your book, you provide, uh, by the way, the book, again, once again, is uh, Runaway Inequality. This is Les Leopold, L-E-O-P-O-L-D. And it's Runaway Inequality, an Activist Guide to Economic Justice. And um, By the way, all the proceeds from this book don't go to me personally, but go back towards a national economics education campaign that I'll talk to you about in a little bit. Okay, so a stock buyback. Okay. Yeah, it's a stock buyback. Well, it, it, it's a, uh, a donation. Let's put it that way. Okay. Uh, so uh, at the end of the book, you provide uh, an answer that you think uh, will help to solve this problem. In other words, when I say solve, make people or get people to be aware of what's going on, because I think a lot of people are operating in total darkness and ignorance, and the people who pay for the ads and pay for the politicians are the people who are uh, screwing us all. So, Why? Yeah, well, you... you you're totally right about that. I mean, uh, so I, how uh, do people? How do people? How does? How do people who? And it's not just the left anymore. It's all of us. How do we become aware of this? And what do we do about it? Well, of course, that is the question that uh, that's the question of the day, mm-hmm. and it's a question that you and I have dealt with many times before. Uh, more with an air of pessimism than with an air of hope. That's true. And I, I, and I, but I think now we can see the outlines of something uh, positive. Uh, I, before Bernie even announced, I started doing this education campaign with communication workers in Citizen Action New York, and they got so excited about it that they, they put up a million bucks uh, to bring their workers off the job for a day to go through a whole class around runaway inequality and what to do about it. And mm-hmm. we just are, and, and the trainers are going to be their own people. We're training their people to be the trainers. And the book, and a little video of me talking about it, is uh, uh, the text for, uh, in a sense, the, the training. Everybody goes through the training, gets, gets the book, and there's a curriculum we designed as well. Now, uh, that never could have happened like five years ago. I, I know, because I've been making the same kind of pitch to them for years and years, but something changed. They understand that they're going nowhere if they just stay in their own silo. A labor activist can't just be a labor activist anymore. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. But if they become a movement builder, a movement to take on runaway inequality, people start to listen. Something like this is the model. It was done in the 1880s, the populist movement. Mm-hmm. At that time, uh, small farmers, uh, uh, in, especially in the South and the Midwest, black and white, got together, uh, 
they were getting clobbered by Wall Street, absolutely clobbered. So they were demanding an entirely new uh, economic uh, money, different money supply and, and cooperatives, uh, public banks instead of private banks. They had a right. whole big thing going on. They had 6,000 educators running around the country telling their story, 6,000. So we need 30,000 today to match the population growth, plus we've got social media, et cetera, et cetera. But we need a lot of people who know this story, can go around to talk to their neighbors. You know, we set up the book with questions at the end of every chapter. You can use it as a, you know, kind of a discussion group, uh, you know, book club kind of thing or something more formal. I mean, we're hoping to, to, to actually put thousands of educators uh, out into the field. That's one step, but that's not the, that's just part of the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. The other thing that needs to be built is a new, you know, uh, anti-Wall Street organization. Uh, Occupy Wall Street was the first time we had a revolt against Wall Street. The Tea Party, in a way, was, but it also, but it's mostly a revolt against government. Mm-hmm. Occupy was actually a revolt against Wall Street. Very successful, but totally disorganized and disappears in six months. Then you get Elizabeth Warren, right? Elizabeth Warren comes out of nowhere. She's beating the hell out of Wall Street, and she's becoming very, very popular. Wins the Senate race. People even talk about her running for president. Mm-hmm. And then you get Bernie, Bernie Sanders. Grumpy old guy, Jewish guy from Brooklyn, who somehow you know, you know, caught caught the wind up in Vermont and been in government forever, uh, talking about good progressive things. He catches on. I mean, it's not because he's a charismatic leader. He's mm-hmm. the anti-charismatic leader. Right. But he catches on because of his his message. He's attacking that better business climate model with a vengeance. So what you, we're discussing. You, yeah. Do you think he could be doing uh, a better job? At, uh, I don't. Care. It doesn't matter. Doesn't. Right. He's ignited. It doesn't matter. He's only. He's only who he is, and he should be true to himself. Do what he can do as best as he can, uh, because Clinton is the better business climate model, the liberal version of it. But yet she's that. She's d- deeply entrenched in neoliberalism. Mm-hmm. Those are her friends. That's how she gets you know all these uh, donations from Wall Street and the high speaking fees. It's because these are the people she's around. She's in the, she is the top 1%. They made $130 million uh, in the last seven years, the two Clintons. That's how much they earned, $130 million. So, you know, they're, all these media people, uh, the Times editors, et cetera, they're all of a piece. Bernie's not. He's outside of it. So well, this, this, what you're talking about, the Clintons, also includes Obama. When you talk about his, uh, his basic, I mean, Penny Pritzker and who is this guy who's his best friend who is the head of a bank? I mean, this guy is a, the creation Look, of the wealthy. The you know. this, is, this is the establishment. Bernie is right. right. Instead of saying better business climate or neoliberalism, he says establishment, a wonderful code word. That's who they are. They, these are the people that run the show. The little more liberal ones are, care more about race and, uh, you know, uh, right. gender and, and, uh, uh, you know, gay, gay rights, lesbian rights, transgender. They're, they take, they're, they're good on all that stuff, but they still fundamentally support the essence of that neoliberal model, the better business climate model. Uh, you don't hear Hillary talking about creating new jobs. You don't hear her talking about taking, you know, she's against the financial transaction tax. Now, that's one Bernie took directly from me. Mm-hmm. Tax Wall Street and spend it for free higher education. Right. He doesn't know he took it from me, uh, but uh, it'd be a great boon for the book if he acknowledged it. But that's okay. Uh, so you have uh, so the third wave. So you have Occupy Elizabeth Warren now Bernie. People flocking to Bernie. The fact that he could beat her ass in uh, Vermont, tie her uh, in Iowa. Let's see what happens in some of these other states. And it's coming from young people. 80, he's getting 80% of the vote from young people who have known nothing but the 
post, you know, the, the life under the better business climate model. They don't have any memories from, oh, this is what we did, you know, when America was, uh, standard of living was rising for everybody. All they see is runaway inequality. And they see, and they see student debt. Uh, also, uh, but uh, oh, then this, they sure do. And then this leads to race, though, because in the next, uh, you get, Unfortunately, you get something like the and politics comes into this comes into everything. Right? The Congressional Black Caucus comes out the other day, especially John Lewis, and says, "I don't Bernie Sanders. I never saw him before." And they come out and they endorse Clinton. And there's all this. Why do so many black voters uh, seem to favor the Clinton? She's going to go to South Carolina. Uh, she'll go to other places uh, where there are a lot of black voters. Why? Why is what is this mythology that she and her husband are for black voters when in fact the two of them together, but especially him and the establishment she belongs to, uh, are the worst thing in the world? There's a guy who called my show once who said that uh, you know voting for her if you're uh, a lower income or if you're uh, black or anything like that, it would be like a uh, chicken voting for Colonel Sanders. You know what I mean? Why why don't they get? Why don't they understand this? Like well, instance, I don't see. Let, I, I would say the jury is still out. Let's mm. see how many black voters go to Bernie. The black establishment is going to Hillary. And that's because they have been incorporated into the neoliberal runaway inequality system. John Lewis is a part of it. Mm. He's not a rebel. He was a rebel when he was a civil rights leader. He's not a rebel anymore. He, uh, he is not uh, uh, attacking the fundamental precepts of runaway inequality. He may have concerns about it, but you know he's got the the the, uh, the you know the, the 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 local political and state uh, establishment mm-hmm. now across the country uh, is 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 uh, no longer uh, segregated. You have black mayors, black senators, you know. Uh, 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 governmental officials, you have, uh, uh, it's not Jim Crow at that level. They've now been incorporated. And very few, not all, but very, uh, uh, I mean, you know, it, not all are going with Hillary. Some are going to peel off and go with Bernie. And those are the ones that have had enough of, they see the devastation that runaway inequality has caused. Uh, why? We'll see how, how deep. Uh, the grassroots are uh, for uh, uh, Hillary. I mean, she's you know, counting coach. on this. She's counting yeah, yeah, on yeah, this. She's counting on it. But what's happening is, I heard a very interesting thing on NPR. Uh, they were interviewing. This is after New Hampshire. They're interviewing, and I think they they actually recorded this before New Hampshire. A bunch of students uh, at a black college, the political young Democrats at a black college mm-hmm. in the South. I think it was in South Carolina, probably. And uh, half of them were for Bernie and half of them were for Hillary. And they, he, he questioned, the uh, narrator questioned, reporter questioned all the uh, Hillary people. And every single one was, had their doubts and was thinking about Bernie. And they, uh, the, the, the reporter kept saying out loud, he goes, geez, you're kind of weak on Hillary, aren't you? And each one said that they were. It's, it's not, it's, I think we should not use a generalization there. Uh, there's a lot, because of the neo. Remember, the progressive side of the neoliberal uh, establishment mm-hmm. has incorporated African-American leaders, preachers, and such into their system. You know, the, the developers are not all white anymore that they're doing the gentrification. The contractors are not all white anymore. So that people have been getting goodies 
from, you know, uh, and earning, you know, a decent living. You know, not every single financier is white. Not every single rich person is white. Anymore. Well, maybe also it's a, and then <clears throat> this is the inevitable There's, question. In other words, there are class differences within the black community, and we'll see how that breaks out. Well, uh, and maybe it's a question of, uh, of uh, uh, this, you know, this argument, this constant argument about electability. I mean, maybe something like the black people in the black caucus, maybe they all didn't feel the same way that Lewis did or other people, but they see they're part, like you say, they're part of the Democratic Party, which is part of the establishment. It's all the old boys club, no matter what gender you are. But then maybe they see, maybe they're worried that a guy like, um, you know, Bernie Sanders, for all, all sorts of cultural and psychological and ethnic reasons, is not as electable as Hillary Clinton is. And maybe that's... I, I, think, she's, I, I, I think she can't win. Mm-hmm. I think even if she... I, I'm really worried that she can't win. Her ties to Wall Street are so obvious, so blatant. You know, all they need is a scan... Look, between her email scandal and now the investigation of the Clinton Foundation, you know, all it takes is just... One more little spark to light that fire. People say she's, you know, of course all the Republicans are going to vote against her, but the Democrats are going to sit on their hands. They, maybe they'll come out in large numbers, but she generates zero enthusiasm right but now because she keeps running. It's all about her. Do you, do you she think she has uh, no vision? She can't say. She can't attack the. Uh, her line is, oh, I agree, with Bernie and I agree on everything, but I, 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 I care more about broader issues. It's always the word I is in every sentence she uses. Mm-hmm. She can't talk about a movement because she doesn't believe in one. She believes in being an insider and making and, and, and maneuvering. Do you, think that, do you think that more Democrats would turn out uh, if Sanders was the nominee? It's possible. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I, I, it's possible there could be... Uh, it, 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 it's possible. I, mm-hmm. I I need to see the next uh, round of you know through Super Tuesday, uh, and then we could talk again. But it, whether he wins or loses, and this is I think uh, a critical point, whether he li- wins or loses, we have to build this neo-populist structure with an educational infrastructure, with a simple, uh, clear anti-Wall Street social justice agenda, mm-hmm. an analysis that ties it together. And most importantly, we have to put on the hat of movement builders. We have to get the people who are in their silos to get out of their silos. We have to commit to building something over the next you know, five to ten years. That's the political revolution Bernie's talking about. He's absolutely right. He, no one person could do it alone. I mean, uh, even if Hillary wanted to do something uh, more progressive, she's not going to do it, mm-hmm. uh, unless there's a sort of mass upheaval. Look at the power of Occupy Wall Street, as, as short-lived as it, as it was. Let me, let's just remind listeners what was going on in the summer of 2010. First of all, Obama had already achieved a reduction in uh, federal government jobs, reduced mm-hmm. jobs. Those are the very jobs that African Americans depend on. He cut them down. Then he was negotiating with Congress, on a, uh, Republican Congress, on a grand bargain to cut, that would include cuts in Social Security right. to do deficit reduction, right? Then Occupy Wall Street comes, comes along. All of that's off the table. Now everybody's talking about we are the 99%. And inequality, and now runaway inequality, become the central feature of the political debate. That's a phenomenal change. That doesn't happen because... Uh, just a f- you know, few organizers uh, uh, wrote some uh, social media stuff. That happens because tens of millions of people a- across the country know it's true. There's, a, there's this incredible hostility towards 
the people who are ripping us off, who are financially strip mining us. It's unfair. It's 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 uh, violating the American people's sense of justice. You know, we, there's this very interesting poll that we have at the beginning of the book. They ask the American people what they think the wage gap is now between the top corporations and the average worker, uh, top CEOs and average worker. They'll say roughly forty to sixty to one, which what what it was in nineteen seventy. Then you ask them what they think it ought to be. Catch this. A strong Democrat says 5 to 1. <laughs> a strong Republican says 12 to 1. The mm-hmm. average is 8 to 1. It's 844 to 1. The American people want it to be 8 to 1. So, uh, by the way, the Bank of North Dakota, the one public bank right. that grew out of the, out of the, 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 the uh, ratio in, at that bank is exactly 8 to 1. Oh, I just said, I should tell you that we've only got about a minute or so left. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. It's a, the book it's, is Runaway Inequality. Uh, yeah. There's a website called runawayinequality.org. All the proceeds go back into this education campaign. We want everybody to join this education campaign and keep listening to Mike Federer because this is where you'll hear all about it. <laughs> okay. Well, that's pretty good summation. Uh, Les Leopold, and he will be on uh, as we go along. And now we've got uh, we've got about 30 seconds here, but now the Supreme Court comes in, making this a multidimensional chess game, right? So, well, Yeah, well, that's interesting, too, because, see, uh, now it's all going to be about electability. Right, right. Uh, Hillary's going to say, he'll never win, therefore he'll never be able to put in a Supreme Court justice. I can win, I'll be able to put it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but you know what? The proof's in the pudding. I don't think... I don't think uh, the American people are stupid. They're going to make a decision based on who they think is going to take on the neoliberal establishment. If they see Hillary as part of Wall Street, as part of the uh, as the sort of progressive wing of Wall Street, I think they might they're going to reject her. All right. Uh, so uh, just one note to the listeners: uh, you want to get in touch with me, um, go to faderfiles.com. Also, if you have a copy of our speeches to uh, Goldman Sachs and other Wall Street companies. Please, uh, please uh, leak them to the press, and uh, once again, give uh, people a place where they contact you, and then we're off. You, you can reach me anytime at lesleopold at aol dot com, and you can get the book anywhere. You know, all the online right. stores, electronic copies, but you can also get it at runawayinequality dot org. Okay, thank you very much, and we'll be talking to you again soon. Thank you so much. Okay, uh, that's it for this week. We'll be back next week, and. Um, yeah, people got to stop thinking about race. It's about labor. It's about uh, it's about uh, gender. It's about this. It's about that. No, it is about uh, income inequality. It's what Occupy Wall Street was saying, um, and everything. And this whole idea of Bernie being a one-note candidate. Well, that is the note. There is no there is no symphony being played except that one note. If you walk through the garden, you better watch your back. But I beg your pardon For the straight and narrow track If you walk with Jesus He'll save your soul You gotta keep the devil Down in the hole He's got the fire and the fury And